Hi, and welcome to this month's Dharma Thing podcast with me, Ms. DeShannon. And again, I've got a lovely guest, one of many very carefully selected guests that we have for these bite-sized conversations where we just take the opportunity to talk about various different things that guide us and help us to navigate life, Um, things that could be physically or emotionally related, things that could be creative, things that could be structured and theoretical. Um, But it's it's about sharing, it's sharing journeys, sharing experiences and knowledge, hence the name Dharma. Um, and little gems of wisdom and trying to have a bit of fun along the way. So hopefully you will enjoy this session and some of the others as well, maybe finding some inspiration and motivation or just some joy. And joining me this week, we've got a wonderful wordsmith, poet, motivator, inspirator, Tanya Markle. Welcome. Thank you so much. Beautiful <laughs> intro. Thank you. It's such an honor to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> I'm honored that you think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, we see all of your words and your quotes all over the place as these little gems of inspiration for us. So it'll be really nice to get some idea to the background of that. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just in your, if you could do like what, what we used to call in the marketing world, your elevator speech, just like yes. 10 seconds, who you are, what you are, how you describe yourself. Yes. I mean, well, <laughs> I live in Copenhagen. I'm an American and I'm a writer and I'm a mother of two young sons that are four and eight. Um, I have a Danish husband and yeah, pretty much I write for a living and, you know, living the creative life, I guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can say (laughs) that's like also what the corporate world calls the quick and dirty, (laughs) the quick description, but, um, I guess to go a little bit more into how I got to where I am. Um, I started writing at a young age. Um, I think I started writing about six years old and I had this little like notebook with the little blue lines across it. And I used to, you know, open up a page and I would just, scribbled lines on top of lines and I I love the way it looked and I would call it poetry it'd be like you know hey grandma this is my poem I wrote for you Mm. um but I loved like nursery rhymes I loved like hallmark cards I don't know if there's hallmark cards in the UK but like you know definitely are they there yes the UK definitely but I don't think we have it here in Denmark do we I don't think so no but Hallmark cards definitely in the UK yeah that's the birthday cards here like the anniversary stuff Mm. but anyways um yeah I started writing at a young age I just I don't know if it was a lack of interest in like my other toys but I loved drawing and like writing with my pen and pencil. And then um, I wrote my first book 
when I was eight years old. Wow. And it was called little baby boohoo. And it was about a little girl that cried all the time. And ironically, that story was about me. Um, and then gosh, it was like a year or two later, I wrote or a year later or something, I wrote my next book and it was about a princess, of course, um, who went into the forest with her sisters and like their mission was to find a prince so that they could come home and be happy and like live happily, happily ever after. Right. That whole thing. Yeah. And, um, that story was actually about my mother and like my wish for her to go and find, you know, the man of her dreams, because that's what she really wanted in life and to come home to me. And like, we live happily ever after. And that didn't happen. You know, she did leave. She didn't find her man and she didn't come home. And it was kind of like at such a young age, I was kind of able to see my life kind of through words, um, through storytelling. And even when I was like small, there was something about, you know, writing and reading that really touched me on a more emotional level, like gave me a sense of grounding. Mm -hmm. Um, So I continued to write. Well, I stopped writing for, I stopped like creative writing for a long time. And there was kind of around that point. um, My grandfather, who was like the only father figure of my life passed away. And so our whole life was like changing, you know, it was like the, the patriarch of the family had died unexpectedly. And my family went in complete uproar. It's like chaos. My grandma was grieving. There were money issues. Um, We had to move. It was just complete chaos. And like, I turned after that, I turned to journaling, to keeping a diary. Um, And I really feel like during my teenage years, there's so much more (laughs) that happened um, during that part of my life. But during my teenage years, I really feel like, keeping a diary and having a practice of writing really saved my life. It Mm -hmm. really saved my life. I mean, I think now as like, you know, a mom, as like a middle-aged woman, you have more experience with life. You can put life's experience to words in a way that you can't do when you're a child, that you can't do when you're a teenager, that you can't do when you're in your twenties, you know, or your thirties even it comes with experience and it comes with a lot of other things too, like knowing your, what kind of creature you are, you know, what kind of creative voice do I have? And then balancing out things like self-worth and like self-esteem and um, uh, maybe I'm getting a little bit off track there, but I think um, just writing for me has always been a part of my life since I was very young. And it has really been a tool that I have turned to many times in my life to get a reflection, you know, to see myself, to work through like emotional issues or like relationship stuff, whatever's happening in my life. Um, And to also like spark and ignite my creative voice when writing like poetry and, and other things. Where did that come from then? Like at six years old, what was your, 
what was your inspiration? <laughs> well, where did that come from? Were you surrounded by books? Was somebody important in your life also a writer or did it literally just come out of nowhere? That is a really good question because I really, I'm not sure it's, we did not have a lot of money. We probably had like five books like on the bookshelf that were torn and like pages were missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wasn't really like around anybody that spent a lot of time reading, like my grandma and grandfather, my grandma and grandfather um, read the newspaper religiously, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if it was more of like a boredom with my toys, you know, I didn't, wasn't really that interested in playing with, with dolls, even though I love them. I wasn't really interested in playing with like cars or anything. I really just enjoyed being with like a pad of paper and something to write with. That was super enjoyable to me. Yeah. So you're kind of spending your time creating your own worlds with your thoughts as the inspiration for that, your thoughts and experiences as the inspiration for this new world that you're creating in your books about boohoo or the princess or whatever amazing amazing that that comes for you from you at such a young age as well yeah I mean I I definitely I definitely wish that I had been guided in some way to explore that more you know to go deeper at a young age into writing into reading but we just didn't it wasn't like that in my in my family you know Mm. we didn't everybody was working um there wasn't really a focus on developing you know your creative self or um figuring out you know what you want to do with your life Mm. um I definitely feel like that would have been interesting to see where I am now but obviously life didn't turn out that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you'd have, if you'd have explored it though, just a little sliding doors moment, if you'd have explored it, then there's potential that you could have exhausted the the opportunity Mm. and not have what you have now. And like you said, with that life experience and the many different things that have come with age and relocating and becoming a mother and all of these other different things that you can write about with experience maybe exploration of it when you were younger would have exhausted the opportunity yeah maybe maybe it would have been interesting though from like a technical perspective as a writer Mm. you know getting that I do have an education in journalism but actually having studied like English literature or something more like creative writing, something more along those lines mm-hmm. um, could have been interesting to develop, to develop, you know, the technical side of my, my writing. Yeah. 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 So you went on then after writing your first book at six years old, you then went on <laughs> to journalism. Okay. Smash yeah. that. Written my first book. I'm six yeah. years old. <laughs> I can do on eight, you know, no struggle to get a second book out, but you then went on to journalism then. So quite yeah, a different right. end to the yeah. writing spectrum. Yeah, definitely. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I was so naive in life and I didn't have that adult person 
in my life. I didn't have my mother or father. They were kind of in and out. You know, I would see them maybe once or twice a year. Um, I stayed with an aunt um, during, you know, my teenage years who was, you know, at 40 pregnant with twins and her youngest daughter had just been diagnosed with MS. Like her mind was somewhere else. So I, I just didn't have that adult person kind of guiding me in what the next step should be. And I was the first person out of my family to get a college degree. So it was like completely new to everyone. We never talked about it. There was never a conversation about what I should study, you know, what classes I enjoy the most, like nothing like that. And I had thought, you know, while I was in um, or preparing to apply for colleges that I wanted to be a doctor. I was like, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Like, isn't that what people do when they go to college? Like, don't you just go to college, mm-hmm. become a doctor? So I was like going off as pre-med and I enjoyed it. I love, you know, anatomy, I love biology, the sciences, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do at all. So mm-hmm. I ended up changing, you know, my major probably seven to nine times okay. and I really wanted to go into fine arts and study um, some kind of writing as a minor, but the counselor at the school was like really convincing me to try and choose a business degree because otherwise I wouldn't make any money and I wouldn't get a job. And like, I believed them. I believed, I believed her. Because I came from a family that was completely, you know, blue collar workers Mm -hmm. who didn't dream about going to college, who didn't dream about, you know, becoming something other than what they already were. So I believed them. And I was like, okay, well, find, try to find something in the middle. And I found journalism and went from there. Okay. How did you find the journalism after your huge amounts of creativity and your journaling, which is a very passionate act to have. How did you then find the structure of journalism? Honestly, like it fit in to kind of my, how I thought about myself at the time. And in a way it supported like my self-sabotage because I was writing, you know, which is something I wanted to be doing, but I wasn't writing for myself. (laughs) I was writing about other people in other situations, which kind of gave me, you know, the out card. I didn't have to do the inner work that I really, you know, could have been doing to benefit like my whole life. But yeah, it, it was interesting. And like a journalist is a very different job than, you know, or creative endeavor than, you know, writing poetry or, you know, writing a novel. And I found it also like, I feel like I'm like, I'm the type of person who's like half introvert and half extrovert. And I feel a job like that is very, or at least when I was working as a journalist for my university, it was very, you had to be very extroverted, right? very, you know, 
using your elbows to get around and um, a lot of people approaching you wanting to you to use your voice to support whatever they were doing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It, it really wasn't, it really wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but it was almost there. It was a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's interesting that you say, I mean, they're two very similar words, journaling and journalist. Yeah. Obviously probably come from Latin or something, don't they? But they're two very different endeavors. And like you said, you can be a writer in many, many different forms, but whether that is a therapeutic endeavor for yourself or not, that's a really interesting way of putting this idea of journaling, that you're really confronting thoughts and feelings and stuff that yeah. you might not want to. Yeah. I've never been a journaler. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been a journalist yeah. <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah. And there's always an agenda. Like you said, you've always got to empathize with other people. Your energy is always going out there to listen and to absorb and to care for whatever that project scenario is and to write about that eloquently enough. Yeah. But I have never had the skill of being able to do that for myself. Right. It's an di entirely different mm. universe, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It really is. And I mean, journaling is not for everybody. That's for sure, right? Every, everything's not for everybody. Like tools are not one size fits all. But anybody can journal, you know, anybody mm -hmm. can try. And my experience with journaling is that even if you do it, say you do it once a month and you say like the first Sunday of every month, I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to journal, like just touch, touch in with myself, touch base with myself. I feel like that is so, it's so potent. It doesn't have to be every day. I actually don't journal myself every day. There was a time when I did, but I don't journal every day and I don't even re recommend journaling every day to yourself. Um, I think if you just have, like, if you're someone who feels like maybe, maybe I should give this a try. I think the most important thing is that you just do it consistently. And then you really start to feel like, I don't know, um, this relationship with yourself, you know, you, you have agreed to this relationship with yourself once a month, I'm going to check in and, I feel like journaling is like, you know, you have this map of your life and when you journal, it becomes like a GPS, you know, you find your coordinates. Like here I am, here I am on the map of my life. Um, and you can check in emotionally, physically, you know, creatively, whatever it is. And it has always been a powerful experience for me. And I, I can't also can't say that I always am in the mood to do it or like want to do it. But from experience, I know that doing it is definitely beneficial to how I feel about myself and how, you know, I'm, I'm looking at life. Mm. Yeah, I did it a little bit. I actually went on a, a road trip to California and somehow when I was out there, I had this huge outpouring of wanting to sit on the top of the cliffs and write. But Amazing. since then, it's not something that I engage with so maybe it's uh, city living has has brought me some some barriers yeah <laughs> but this, this um your journaling I guess 
like you said, you don't journal every day, but you are journaling regularly. And yeah. this is what inspires the things that you put into your books. Yeah. Your current books, not the, the boohoo book. Yeah. <laughs> <The current laughs> book. So you've got the she book one and two, haven't you? And is it the journaling and this uh, thought process of diving into yourself that's um, provoking what comes out for the books? Yes, yes, definitely. I particularly when I was putting uh, the she book and the she book two together, I was also going through like a major transition in my life. I, like major, I was, had ended like a creative collaboration and it ended in, in like a traumatic way. And I had gotten pregnant and then I was like, oh my God, I, I have this book in me. I just need to put this in a book. And it was like, it wasn't really a process that I had sat with for a long time. You know, I hadn't been envisioning it. It really just came. And I was like, I have to do that. Like, I have to get this book out of here. It has to come out of my body before I birth this child. Um, so that's kind of how, how that went. Um, same with book number two is I got pregnant with my second son. And then it was like the whole thing. <laughs> like I had to do this purge and then have my physical child mm -hmm. um, but is it now, the pregnancy hormones then that are maybe pushing everything into this creative spurt <laughs> yes well I think also getting pregnant like my experience was like you as you get bigger and as you have a life forming inside of you you have less and less space to hide from yourself and less and less space to kind of, you know, less tolerance and energy to deal with like bullshit, including your own, you know? And I feel like that made me very um, focused during the time I was pregnant. And also the hormones too. Like for me, like when I was pregnant, I was so fierce, you know, I wasn't afraid to make boundaries and I wasn't afraid to take the time that I needed to, to get something done. It was an amazing creative time, amazing creative time. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I did actually, I, I have, as, like I said to you before, I have a list of questions that I was thinking about asking you, but we could also just see how it goes. But um, I wanted to ask you about your books, about the self-publishing. And you said that you're, you're feeling when you're pregnant, you have this feeling of being fierce and, you know, that you can't escape what you're thinking, what you're feeling because of what you're going through. Um, is that what drove you to self-publish rather than be in the hands of somebody else? Is that why you you took that fierce energy and were like, right, I'm going to do this entire thing all on my own? Because that is a huge weight to not only write and create it, but, but deliver it into an actual product at the end, as well as having your own physical little bundle at the end. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think it, it, it just happened so seamlessly. Everything just happened so seamlessly, like creating the, the artwork for the cover, just putting the book together. It was so, it just went, it went um, 
full cycle without like a single hitch, really. Like there was nothing that I couldn't, you know, fix and face. Um, and self-publishing just felt like the natural thing to do. It really was. I was like, I'm just going to publish this book and see if there's any interest, you know, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I was not familiar with the self-publishing world at all. You know, I had a dream, the dream, of course, of going to a traditional publisher and, you know, publishing my books that way. So I don't know. I just was like, I need to figure this out. I need to figure this out. I want to own it. You know, I have complete creative rights. It's what I want for this book and I'm going to figure it out. And I did. And it just took off. You okay. know, I, yeah. You sold, never spoke to a publisher at all. I never spoke to a publisher until after I self-published. Mm -hmm. And then I went to them and, and I share this um, story in my my publishing course as well. Saying hello. Sorry, the cat's interjecting. Oh, <laughs> oh, so you went to see somebody after you'd published. Sorry. Yes. Um, yes. After I self-published, I then did some research and I knew I wanted to submit to Andrews McNeil because they were so, um, they have such a, a, a beautiful um, community of poets and represent so many just wonderful um, artists and writers. Anyways, I, I basically just took two copies of my book and wrote, I typed out a letter like on my old typewriter and sent it to Andrews McNeil and was like, I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> and they contacted me back. And they were like, let's do this. And so I got an agent and that was it. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, but I think the timing was very magical and like very aligned. I, I really feel like when I heard like the call, like you need to do this right now, I did it. And like everything just aligned in place. Mm -hmm. And I cannot say that that is how the traditionally the traditional publishing process is in real life it's yeah. really actually quite hard and you have to you know send your um manuscript to many 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 publishers before mm -hmm. you get a connection and is there i mean i know nothing about the publishing world i know a little about being in the music world and when people um, take their music or their recordings, for instance, to a label there's or, or a producer, there's always the potential for their creation to be changed and altered and manipulated to satisfy whatever needs that a person in charge quotation marks thinks is required is it the same in the publishing world do you think that that's maybe something that put you off going there I didn't know it, it I mean it was something that I thought that I just knew initially that if I self-publish this this is my book yeah and I know nothing can be changed about it and so it's out there um for everyone to see and will always be and then when um, I think because they could see that the book was selling, um, that they also didn't find a lot of reason to, you know, make any changes, but I only have experience with Andrews McNeil publishing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to, you know, create with other publishers, although I've heard 
Um, but I think today, at least I know from Andrews McNeil, I mean, their suggestions are amazing. Their suggestions are brilliant. You know, you want someone with that kind of editorial professionalism and experience to look at your work, right? You really want to know what they have to say. So who appreciate what you're doing creatively rather than thinking about the marketing side of it. They're thinking about you and your creativity. Exactly. Exactly. And they're like technicians, you know, they're technicians with sentence structure and grammar. So it's always nice to have someone at your back with that stuff too. (laughs) All of that stuff that you didn't do in your high school years. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And how did your, um, obviously you've already said that you're American and you grew up in America, you studied in America. How did you find your transition to Denmark? Because you work with words and language is an awful lot to us as humans. It's our, as well as our body, but it's what we use to communicate. Um, And how did you find taking yourself out of a world where you're born and bred into one language and then suddenly being thrown into another one, especially when you've got children? How did that affect your creativeness in your mind in terms of your sort of send and receive (laughs) states of what is around you yeah uh being in this different world with signage on things you can't understand it the general babble of people that is around you you don't understand it so did that affect you in any way when you relocated I mean, definitely, without a doubt. I mean, I do have a little, I did have a little bit of experience before I came to Copenhagen. I lived in the UK for some mm-hmm. time. I lived in Covent Garden. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like the best time of my my young 20s life, single yeah. life. I mean, it was outstanding. And then I, I did also live in Norway um, in Stavanger for like six months. Okay. Um, before I came to Copenhagen. So I had a bit of, you know, of experience being a foreigner in a foreign land before I got here. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. And like Danish culture is interesting. You know, I have a Danish, um, uh, now I, now I can't think of the English word for it. Mother-in-law. Yeah. Mother-in-law. Yes. Like mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, and adjusting to their ways of doing things as people, but also like as representations of the culture, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, Christian's mom from the beginning, she has always spoke to me in Danish, like 95% of the time. And that's really cool, but it's also been a huge challenge for me because I can only go so far. So we're not meeting each other halfway we're kind of meeting you know only like 20 percent of the way yeah Um, so there's like things like things like that and like I think Danes as people have their own you know quirks and habits and traditions that even though I've been here for some time um of course I'm still getting used to and and my children are being brought up Danish and like hearing them speak another language that I don't always fully get, it it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. It blows my mind completely. And it's also hilarious because they, they mix Danish and English all the time and we get the most amazing sentences. So, (laughs) and they can talk about you behind your back. 
Oh yeah. I'm going to be fluent when that starts happening. So I got a little bit of time. <laughs> but has this, this change in the dynamic of a, the language around you affected your output? Oh, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am exactly in that space right now. I mean, I've been in that space, in and out of, um, of that space, but I'm really in it right now because I'm currently taking Danish classes, you know, mm. going to Danish language, language school, which is so, oh, it takes up so much energy. It's so hard. It's so, it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I know. So I'm, I'm doing that. And at the same time, I'm embarking on writing a novel which is something I've never done before. So I am doing like all the research, you know, I'm, I have my book outline going and like, so I'm like working really hard in my brain in like two languages Mm. and it just feels wild. You know, it's really like, and on top of that, being a mom to two young, um, two young boys, it's kind of like, I really have to, Put my energy where you know I want it to be because it takes so much. Yeah, and the Danish um, Danish study is um, what what stage are you at? So there's five uh, yeah. five levels, right? And I'm on level three. Oof. Yeah. So level three, and then level five, you can take what is called like the you know um, the the Danish exam, the third Danish exam. And that's the one that can basically help you to get permanent residence if you want it. And it looks a little bit better. Like if you're applying for a job. Yeah. Yeah. See, I did module one, I did level one and that was okay. That was kind of nice. It was, it was just like, you know, let's talk about your friends and your family and where you go and what your favorite shop down the road is and things like that. And then all of a sudden level two was like, boom, like you said, all of that language stuff, that structure stuff that you didn't do at school that I really can't remember engaging with at school because I was much more into literature. Yes. Nouns, pronouns, sentence structure, verbs, adverbs, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa. So you're now doing all of that as well try as in, in being in another language and being in your own language, but trying to be creative. <laughs> it is wild it's a wild ride and like that's relatively mind-blowing it is mind-blowing and Danish is so I could go on it I we could have like a separate podcast and just talk about Danish for an hour but <laughs> like I just feel it's also a very hard language because at least at least in English like whatever American English and uh, English English <laughs> it's there are some rules you know, you have rules for things. And then Danish, a lot of it, there's no rules. So you just have to memorize. You just have to memorize your ass off, you know, and that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I remember our teacher saying, okay, so we've just studied this sentence and the rule for this is da, 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 da. So we'll work with that a little bit and we grasp (laughs) it and be like, okay, we've we've got this rule. And then he'd tell us that the rule only applied 50% of the time. And we were like, okay, that's not really a rule then, is it? That's a, that's some kind of coincidence because what happens the other 50% of the time 
is just anything. <laughs> oh my God, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. <laughs> there are way more vowels than we have in English and American, <sighs> you know, the pronunciation of those vowels is so precise Yes, that when you speak to somebody from the other side of the country, their pronunciation, you're like, oh, was that an oo or an uh? Or the- yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, okay. All right. There are like what, uh, A-E-I-O-U, mm-hmm. and then there's so like eight Danish vowels, nine, I guess, if you include Y or something. And like each of those vowels have three ways to be pronounced. So you have like 27 vowels that you're working with <laughs> that vary only to the native ear. <laughs> like the foreign ear cannot hear yeah. those crazy subtle differences. Yeah, you know? exactly. I try so hard because my partner is also Danish. I try so hard sometimes to pronounce things in the correct way. Um, and it, I, it's all about the tongue. You have to learn to use your tongue from somewhere down near your collarbones. And we just don't do that when we speak English and American. We're very much in our mouth. Yeah. And these vowel sounds come from somewhere deep down in your throat. It's a very strange, strange thing. It's strange. It's so funny to learn another language. It yeah. really is. It's such and everybody a- thought that for me, because I, because the lessons, I don't know whether you've been asked this as well, because the lessons are delivered in English, because it's a common language for the many oh. different people that attend. Mm. People would say to me, this must be really easy for you because you're English and the lessons in English. And I was like, mm, well, no, actually, because mm-hmm. in England, we never learn another language, really. You, yeah. you, you kind of, when you get to high school, you're maybe given French and German for a couple of years if you want to, but you're already 12. You're already over life at that that age. (laughs) Yes, exactly. um, You know, whereas here, like my nephew-in-law started speaking English when he was six. Um, And especially with me around and with films and TV and stuff, And it really isn't that easy to pick it up when you're English because everybody else in the class was already understanding sentence structure and pronunciation because their native language was Spanish. They could speak a bit of German. They could listen and learn in English. And it's like, no, this is not an easy process for an English person at all. Not at all. Not at all. Anyway, we digressed massively. And uh, like you said, we could do a whole other podcast on um, English people in Denmark. Seriously? Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you about the things that you do beyond writing, though, because obviously having a creative brain doesn't restrict itself to just delivering one particular thing. Um, And we met initially quite a while ago. We were just trying to pinpoint when, but a, a goddess circle that you ran. Mm-hmm. Um, with a, a good friend of mine, Panilla. Hey, hi, Panilla. <laughs> um, and as well as that, you have your um, publishing project. Yes. Two very different things. Again, one that's incredibly magical and incredibly energy focused. 
and which for me having experienced it it was a beautiful experience to be there and the other one is quite structured and business-like so again two two contrasts that you're delivering there yeah I mean that is kind of me though you know I definitely I definitely am a very creative person but I'm also very structured and I, I think that is kind of the the balance of the writer because for me I like to know I like to outline things you know I like to make lists I like to create a map I like to know where I'm going um but I also like to be free with all of that too. And that's kind of, you know, where the creative chaos steps in. But I also have a, a master's in uh, business administration and it's really helped me in stepping into um, this place where I can offer more. You know, I know how to build websites. I've, you know, been on online publications for like 12 years. Um, so it just makes sense. I don't know where I'm going with that one. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> I lost my thought. It's just interesting that we see all this beauty and expression that comes with your writing from experience. And then like when I read the Publish Your Poetry Project, I was like, wow, there's so much in here. And, and I thought, hmm, I'm getting an inkling of somebody with business experience. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, well, everything that I've done, the websites, the publication, everything has been done, you know, myself or with the small team that I have uh, worked with in the past. So I definitely I definitely feel like if you're putting your your work and your art out there that it should you shouldn't be doing everything for free you know why not um, earn a living doing something that you love and love to share mm -hmm. of course yeah and do you find this when you're working with um new writers do you find that the same thing happens to them as in other industries. I know that there are artists who always talk about being expected to do things for free or designers or musicians where people go, oh, this would be good for your experience. Does the same thing happen in the writing world? Oh, 100%, 100%. I think this happens in every kind of industry in some way but I definitely feel with people who are online um, sharing you know words and books or even services I definitely feel that there is kind of the necessity that you have to offer something for free I think that's common business practice online that in order for you to get someone to sign up for your newsletter you know, you have to give them something for free. I think that's given. And also when you do like free talks or free um, Q&A, it gives people a chance to get to know you, which is a smart business move. You can also network. And um, if you share something amazing, maybe those people will share with their friend, which is really what you want to happen. Um, but I think we can, all creators online can definitely say that when you are trying to sell something, um, product, service, merch, whatever it is, that you're going to get a percentage of people that just never want to pay, right? Mm -hmm. That just never want to pay, that will never pay for your product. They'll, they'll be loyal to you for life, but they'll never pay. And then you have the people that, you know, will try to get a freebie 
that will, you know, there, there will always be a percentage of people that will want a freebie. Um, and there is, there are an even smaller percentage of people that will get a little pissed off at you for asking, you know, for money. And I think that that comes from obviously a place of their own, <laughs> their own inner shit, but it happens. I think it's a, it's pretty normal. It's pretty normal. The pressure to just keep giving um, because there is so much out there as well. You know, there's so much to choose from. I think I heard the other day that there's like 7 million podcasts in the world or like something ridiculous like that. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much for um, people to choose from. Offering freebies can definitely, you know, offer a nibble and maybe get yeah. someone new on board. But I don't think you should be, everybody should do be giving away their stuff for free unless they mm-hmm. can they can do that. Yeah. It's kind of like when the churro shop down the road gives out free mini churros just to give you a little taster. Yes. And then you go, Hmm, there's a churro shop down the road. So then you go and buy a whole big packet of nice chocolatey sugary treats one day. So you got to give a little something and then people buy into the bigger idea. Yeah, exactly. And like the little thing is like your social, social media pages, that's your posts and your reels and your memes, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really struggle with doing that kind of thing. It's even though I'm from a marketing background, Mm -hmm. again, back to what we said before, it's great when I can empathize with other people and work with clients and do all that other stuff for them. But then when it comes to putting me out there, I'm like, woo. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary. And like, it's overwhelming as well. I think social I think talent like learning to tell your story is like well okay wow whoa where do I start where do I begin what do I want to share you know and then there's a whole social media aspect you know how do I approach this um virtual jungle you know where do I begin what is most important and in my 30-day month-long month-long course we kind of address how to approach social media in a very simple and smart way that fits who you are as a person and like what your actual goals are on social media. So we establish, you know, we're not just focused on like, these are the business tricks and tips, but like how to also prepare yourself going in so that you don't feel overwhelmed and you don't feel like you have to do like 25 things on social media every single day, you know? Um, And we also work through as a writer, as a creator, as an artist, you're constantly like revealing yourself to yourself and things change. And like, when you decide to share something with the world, you don't have to go out with a bio that says all of those things, you know, it's more of like, let's find a place that's, um, I don't want to say provocative, but like interesting, like what's something that's interesting about you as well as, you know, relevant and like safe for -hmm. people to, to come and, you know, read about your, your work or want to indulge in your, your material. Mm -hmm. Something that's just going to lead them in and that's easy for them to understand again, like a little tidbit again, just to. Yes. Yeah, it is because it is an intimate, it is an intimidating process. I definitely feel social media 
is is wild mm. and again is this structure of this project something that's coming from your own experiences as a self-publisher in your study on your master's degree yes all of it all of it a combination my, of everything yes and like my 12 years working you know on facebook and seven years on instagram um yeah it all of that a lot when you put it like that 12 years on facebook. i know oh. i know i'm like what what <laughs> seriously like did that is that really it um but it's a fun it's a really fun community and we have a facebook group that is available like all year round and it's i'm i think so far we have 20 books that have been self-published people that have taken the course have have a self-published own book you can see it on um, the publisherpoetry30.com website um but it's it's just so refreshing and like a place i love to go uh and visit because the questions are so good and like there's also the vulnerable element of it. Like, how do I share my work? You know, mm. how do I get into this place to create a book cover that represents the soul of my words, you know? And, and so there's a deep conversation and there's a lot of sharing. Um, and I think it's important as a writer, at least for me, to know that I have a community that mm. I can go to for questions or just like, to scroll through and read um, conversations because there's always they're always good and there's always something to learn. There's always something to learn technically, creatively, and like social media wise. Always. Yeah. I was going to ask that. I imagine that the community of that is a is a very important thing because like you said, creativity and particularly in your writing. So therefore maybe the people you're attracting is very much in you. It's very much self-reflection, self-absorbed, everything that's coming from the inside out. So there must be a huge need for a sense of reassurance around that vulnerability of just all this other stuff. Like you're, you're walking out there into the light and just being startled by it all. So having some hands that hold you around that must be incredibly important. It's incredibly important. And you have people who are, you know, ready to step into the light with a finished book. And then you have people who take the course who want are wanting to step, you know, out of the shadow into the light to just start writing again. Mm-hmm. So you have the the big the new beginning spectrum is is uh, very broad in in the community, which also adds such a beautiful element of like passing down wisdom and the, you know, fresher, um, newer minds are asking questions that maybe you didn't consider yet. So there's like this beautiful meeting of beginning at this place and beginning at um, the end, really. Um, It's quite, it's quite beautiful, I think. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, we kind of come into the end of our hour, Tanya, already. (laughs) And, um, I wanted to ask you, um, what does your sharing, your sharing of your passions, your experiences, whether that's in your book or things that you do in this project or in your goddess circles, um, what does it achieve for you? What and and also, what does it achieve for your 
audience, what does it, what is your favorite thing about what that brings, what your work brings to the world? I think the most, um, the thing that it gives most is that it creates a connection and it gives a voice to like emotional pain and trauma that may not yet have a voice. And I feel like when I am sharing, you know, my life experiences and my words that it helps to create perhaps like a possibility within what has felt impossible for someone, you know, or creates a sense of not being alone with their childhood trauma or whatever they have recently experienced. And I think, you know, for me, writing is the, the intent of it has always been to like heal, feel, and reveal. Like that's always been my intention with writing. Writing is, for me, is like, this is how you create emotional literacy. You know, this is how you create evolution in your body. This is how you step into the role as like the alchemist, not to sound cliche, but it's like you create a different way for experience and pain and trauma to live in your body. And when you write it and you create art with it, no matter how what that medium looks like, you're giving that pain a new place to live other than your body. And then for me, it's like choosing what about my story can stay um, if it has, you know, made me a more compassionate, creative person. And all of the other stuff can live on these pages and it can live in a beautiful expression. It can live in metaphor you know, it can live in a rhyme, it can live in a short story, and it can be there, and it's safe there, and can have its own life, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. If there was ever um, a motivation for starting to journal, then I think that is it. So we can all of us get our issues or traumas out of our body and onto the pages. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that these things are going to go away, but at least the life of them is somewhere on the paper rather than held within us in our physical body or yeah. in our continued emotional responses. They're, they're there and they're there for a, a reflection if need be, but they're not buzzing around our general existence yeah that's beautiful mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time thank you for your time and your <laughs> um so have a look for tanya's work as she said she has a novel coming out soon can i say soon or does it depend how the danish language goes <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one <laughs> next year. 
she has a novel coming out but as always you can find her online we mostly work on Instagram so I will share some of her stuff but as she said she's got 12 tough hardened years on Facebook as well and go and buy a book support the self-publishing creatives um so for now that is it for this month Tanya Markle thank you so much for joining me thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure and look into her work for those of you that are listening don't forget to Give Tanya and us some love on social media. We love it and hate it at the same time, but it would be wonderful if you can spread the word for everything that we do on these podcasts, for these little gems of wisdom, these great conversations, and hopefully share the experience as Tanya does in sharing her poetry. Let's build our own wonderful community. And I will see you next month.